don't even remember how many years ago this was. This happened. It's uh, I was I used to go out on Thursdays uh, and I'd play golf on Thursday mornings. And I went to this place in Douglasville, uh, St Andrews. I don't even know if it's still open or not. I assume that it is. It was a really nice place then. And and I had something happen that really changed my perspective on a lot of things. And so. I was playing by myself, and so when I play by myself, I don't keep score. I don't even carry a scorecard. I just drop balls, two balls, and I just play through. That's what I do. I don't keep score. And that's great until you run up on a group. And there's two things that I always hated to hear in golf. One was, uh, hey, you want to play with us? No. And the other was, hey, you want to play through? No. Because... I have seen it happen too many times. I've experienced it personally. When you play through a group, you, you, you start thinking, oh, I, I want to impress these guys, and you do something really dumb. Like maybe you hit the ball and it goes 150 yards, but it never gets off the ground. Or maybe you hit one 300 yards, but it goes so far to the right or left that you don't know where it went. I mean, stuff like that. And we happen to be at the hole that hates me. It's a long par four that really honestly should be a par five. And I've parted it one time in my life, and it was that day. So there's a group of four guys, and they walk up, hey, man, you want to play through? Okay. So I said, well, I'm guessing I hit two balls now. So I put one down, and I'm telling you, I hit the best drive I have ever hit in my life. Ever. I mean, it was, it was one, you know, if you ever dream about stuff you did, I still dream about this ball sometimes, right? And it just went flying. It was perfect. It, I mean, it was great. And so these guys said, hey, man, you just want to play with us? Man. Okay. So then I'm like, okay, let's not mess this up. And so I hit my next ball for the first time in my life. And the last time I was on that green in two. And that one guy's made some comment about maybe we shouldn't let him play with us. And I'm thinking, now oh, you'll see. So um, I played, we played on through, and, and, and so we got to the next hole. When we got to the next hole, the walls came down. The jokes started to be told. They were pretty ugly. Uh, there was a lot of drinking going on and a lot of other stuff. And... We were, they were, apparently they were four guys, they were from out of town, and they were in for some kind of conference or something, and came over to play golf, right? And so, we started, we started playing, and I was, you know, talking to them, and, hey, have you heard the one about, I'm like, no, I hadn't heard that one. Have you heard the one? No, I hadn't heard that one. So, they're just telling me all these horrible things, and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to hang with these guys. That's what I'm going to do. You want a beer? No, I'm, I'm, I'm good. You sure? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Thanks a lot. So, so finally, about two holes, two or three holes down, they said, hey, uh, what do you do for a living? And I knew when I answered that question, they were going to shut down. And so I said, well, I work with people. Well, that's kind of vague, isn't it? Well, what do you guys do for a living? So they all told me, and they were all, I think they were in sales, if I remember right. And so, okay, that's great. And Now, what is it, Jay? What do you do for a living? Well, I, I work for an organization that works with people. You're a counselor. Um, sometimes. Well, so what exactly do you do? Um, well, I'm, I'm a pastor. And I'm telling you, as soon as those words came out of my mouth, everything about them changed. They stopped smiling. They stopped laughing. They stopped joking. They stopped engaging me. 
And the rest of our round, which is probably about, I think, three or four holes from there, was very cordial. And that's all it was. Now, as I kind of started to try to talk to them to get them to open back up, I found out that one of the guys, I think one or two of them, one of them for sure, had had a really bad experience with Christians. And his opinion of Christians was they were all self-righteous and judgmental. That was his opinion. Right or wrong, you know, I always say you can't change how people feel. Well, that's how he felt, and that's okay. But, I, but everything changed when they put walls up. And the last thing I wanted to do was have them put walls up. Because quite honestly, I was enjoying just talking to them and getting to know them. Now, there's been times since then, I, I remember getting in my car and going, uh, why, why, or why, why did you put me with these guys? And I think why is a really interesting question, because why is a question we ask when we're frustrated? Why is a question we ask when things don't go our way? Why is a question we generally ask when life turns sideways, Right? Why did this happen? Why am I here? Why do you do it? I mean, why are you punishing me? Or whatever the case may be. But the truth is, why is something we should engage? And as we've been talking about, living a life on mission is about the why. So Mark Twain, as we've been talking, we talked about it last week, Mark Twain once said, the two most important days of your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. Two most important days of your life. The day you're born, the day you find out why. Today, we're going to talk about the why. This series is about the why. Not why you were born, but why you were, not that you were born, but why you were born, what you were born to do. We're going to talk about living a life on mission. And we need to understand this, that living a life on mission begins when you discover why you were born and what it is you were born to do. We, so, we focus what is task-oriented, why is mission-oriented. The why you do something determines the what that you do. And I don't know if you ever thought about that, but that's the truth. The why that you do something determines the what that you do. And so this isn't about what you do. This is about why you do what you do. Because when you get the why right, everything else tends to fall into place. And so Jesus kind of lays it out for us, this idea of a life on mission. Because sometimes we, we kind of, well, that's great for other people, right? But a life on mission is a very personal thing. If you're a Christian... You've been called to live a life on mission. I've been called to live a life on mission, a life on point. And so Jesus says it this way in Acts 1. He said, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Telling people about me everywhere. So Jesus makes this very, very personal. It's not the guy sitting next to at church. It's not the, the, you know, the, the, the lady at the gym. It's me. I will be his witness. And everywhere I go, I will tell people about him. And so we need to understand, you know, he says Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all that. Well, that doesn't really apply to us, but here's where it is. Here's where Jerusalem is. Your Jerusalem is where your feet take you. Everywhere your feet take you, that's your Jerusalem. Everywhere the wheels of your car, truck, motorcycle, whatever whatever you drive, wherever those wheels take you, that's your Jerusalem. Everywhere you go, Everyone you meet, every person God puts in your path, every person God puts in my path, it's our Jerusalem. And Jesus modeled this for us, but we get really hung up on this thing about people, right? Because people are pretty frustrating. I mean, let's be honest. People are kind of frustrating sometimes. 
And so people, you know, they're messy and they don't always have their, their act together and they don't have their life in order. And I'm sure that you probably have an uncle. I always say uncle. It could be an aunt or a cousin. There's someone in your family that when they do something, you just go, oh, my goodness gracious. I can't believe he's saying this. I can't believe she's saying this. There's someone you know that starts to tell stories and you're going, you're praying, shut them up, shut them up, shut them up, shut them up, shut them up. And there's someone like that in your life, okay? Everyone does. I have like 10, okay? And I'm related to all of them. And when they start talking, I'm like, Lord, please, I've never, I've never prayed for like locusts or frogs, but man, frogs showing right now would be really cool because she'd stop talking. And we get really hung up on people and their mess. And we forget about the mission part. So I want you to understand the mission part. So here's the deal. Your role, my role, our role is to be faithful and obedient. That's my job. That's your job. God's job is to change lives. It's not my job to change people. So if you are really hung up on this and, well, I've got to work and change people, it's not your job to change people. You know, it's something we talked about when it first came. When you do all you can do, God will do all that He can do. And all he's waiting on is for us to do all that we can do. My job is to be faithful. My job is to be obedient. God's job is to change people. So, so here's the thing. So we get to this whole thing, and I'm, and I'm thinking about, and I, always, I often think about those guys on the golf course. I don't know what happened to them. It wasn't my job to fix them. It wasn't my job. There are some people that, that through the years, I've, when I've told that story, you know, I remember a lady saying, you know what? When they found out who you were, they should have changed. They should have been nicer. They should have been respectful. And I said, well, I didn't, I didn't really want them to be. Because once they started all that, I, they stopped talking to me. And they started talking at me. And there's people that say, man, I can't believe you should have played. I can't believe you would hang out with people like that. You should have played three. Change the story a little bit. I am a person like that. We all are. But this whole thing of change is really interesting because we, we talked about this some last week. We want people to come in and we want to, we want them, you know, hey, we want you to get fixed. And when you get fixed, then you can come be with us, right? We want fixed people to come. We don't people to come because people are messy. And if you're going to be a mess, you know, get your stuff together. And when you're ready, you, you come be with us. That's what the Pharisees did. So I want you to consider the difference in the Pharisees and Jesus, right? So the Pharisees demanded that they demanded some outward sign of, or evidence of life change before you could follow them. And in other words, before you could follow a Pharisee or a rabbi in that day, you had to get fixed first. And when you got fixed, when you were worthy, when you were okay, then you could follow them. That's how they rolled. But that's not how Jesus rolled. All Jesus asked is follow me and change as you go. And if you're thinking that doesn't sound right, open up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look at Jesus. Look at what he did. And here's what you'll see. Jesus invited people to follow him. Jesus ministered to people. And he invited them to change as they followed. Or to change from that point forward. But they never had to do anything to be okay, right? And let's be honest. What's a lot of burden? I mean, let's be honest. What is the lighter burden? Burden. So if someone says to you, hey, get fixed, then you can be with me. 
Or someone says, hey, just come be with me, and man, you can, and we'll work it out as we go. Which is the lighter burden to carry? Now, we weren't equipped to carry burdens anyway, but we all lug them around. So if you're going to carry a burden, which one do you want to carry? The lighter burden is, come be with me, and we'll work it out as we go. The heavier burden is, get your act together first. That's what self-righteous people say. That's what judgmental people say. Get your act together first, and then you can come be with me. That's what the Pharisees did. It's not what Jesus did. So I want to give you, I want to sh- show you what this looks like in real time. And so we, I'm, we may mention this last week. We may have read this before, probably have. I just don't remember. But in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus meets Matthew. And Matthew is at the bottom of the cesspool of Jewish culture. He's a tax collector. He's a traitor to his own people. He's a traitor to the Romans. He, no one likes them. They are broken, shattered. They're a mess. They're a mess, right? And so Jesus did something really cool. Beginning in verse 9, he says this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew, or your Bible may say Levi, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Now, Jesus didn't say, quit your job. Jesus didn't say, hey, dude, I I, I really don't want to be hanging out with you. So I need you to go and kind of walk away from us a little while and kind of separate yourself from Rome. And and then he said, hey, just come with me and be my disciple, not Follow me, we'll figure it out. And then one day you can be my disciple. Follow me, be my disciple. Change as you go. Later, verse 10, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home. I guess he's one of them now. As dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable people. Matthew's impulse was to invite people to be with Jesus. People like him. People no one cared about. Messy, broken, shattered people. Not the kind of people the Pharisees hung out not with. Not the kind of people the other rabbis hung out with. But there's a reason that people that were following the Pharisees and following the rabbis started to gravitate in, in droves towards Jesus. And this illustrates it because Jesus was a magnet for broken and messy people. They gravitated to him. And here's the thing, he gravitated towards them. Jesus didn't gravitate to self-righteous people who had it all together. He gravitated to people who were a mess. Some knew it, some didn't. But that's who he gravitated to. So it's kind of like a dog's. Think of it in in the line of dogs. So across the street, if you've been to our house, you know there is an animal there who lives like a king. All right. If you've ever seen me in the road with nowhere to go, he's in the back seat either laying down with his head out the window. All right, I got back from watching wrestling yesterday. Felt so guilty. He'd been sitting in the house all day. I took him for a ride around town. He's a king in that house, and he knows it. He was a stray. He found us. I didn't want him. My daughter did. She won. My wife did. They won. She took her. We're not going to keep this dog. The next day, she had this dog at the vet. I knew we had a dog on that day, right? The dog we had before Roscoe, his name was Ginger. She was a stray. She found us. 
So a friend of ours always makes fun of us. He says, man, the Aikens and their stray dogs. What's up with that? And I remember Crystal one day said, you know, I guess we just love dogs that other people throw away. That's what Jesus does for us. People that other people throw away. Jesus gravitates to them. Strays. People who are a mess. People who are broken. People that society casts to the side. People that families cast to the side. Jesus, man, he, he gravitates to them. He moves to them. And it's why people were so comfortable with Jesus. Why? Because he said, hey, just come be with me. And as you follow me, we'll start to work it out. Change as you go. It was refreshing. No, it was, it was different. But the Pharisees, man, they, they are really hung up on this whole thing, right? Because the Pharisees, to them, these were, these were messy people. So this is what happens. The rest of the story, verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, and, all, and this is the this they saw, Jesus eating with tax collectors. This is eating a meal. That's what they saw. So people saw this. What was Jesus doing? Eating a biscuit, I guess, or whatever they ate, you know. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he said this, verse 13. Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not sacrifices, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. It's a very famous passage. It gets quoted a lot, the healthy need the sick. And, and, and sometimes we go, well, Jesus said the healthy people, they're the ones, they don't need a doctor, sick people do. Well, some people go, well, duh. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Here's the deal. Sometimes they do. Some, sometimes they do. Sick people need a doctor. Here's the difference. Sick people know they need a doctor. Healthy people are going to need the doctor one day. Everyone needs a doctor. Even preachers who don't go to them. Everyone needs a doctor. But what we learn about this is really interesting because what Jesus does is pretty amazing. So I want you to think about what he does. This is, this is, the, this is the, 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 the life on mission lesson, right? Connecting with people, it's about engaging with them where they are. Engaging with them where they are. And where they were was at, around the dinner table. Engaging with people where they are. That's how Jesus did it. That's what he wants us to do. Now, it sounds really simple. So here's the American version of this. Instead of engaging people where they are, we have reduced the mission to invite and come. Right? I mean, that's, and I'm not saying we shouldn't invite people. We should. I'm not saying we shouldn't bring people. We should. But never, ever, ever in Scripture does Jesus say, hey, go invite people to come. Go bring people to come. He never says that. And so what happens is we reduce the mission to inviting and bringing. Not about going and doing. Not about engaging people where they are. So here's the deal. Jesus said to go. That's the deal. He said to go. Go where people are. Be where they are. Engage them where they are. That's what he said to do. That's what he did all the time. He went where they were. He was with them where they were. And he engaged them where they were. 
That's what it is to connect with people. That's what living a life on mission is all about. Should we invite? Absolutely. Should we bring? Absolutely. Does it stop there? Absolutely not. We talked about a few weeks back, I think, going and doing at the end of the year. It's about going and doing, not staying and being. Living a life on mission is very, very proactive. Inviting is cool and we should invite. But man, when I invite someone to do something, I sit and wait for them to respond to my invitation. And I mean, that's okay. Well, I tried. Really? Have you, have you been where they are? Well, no, not really. Have you, have you kind of got down on their level? Eh, not, not really. Do you, well, do you accept them for where they are? Well, they, act, they got some stuff they need to work on. Okay. Here's what I'm telling you. People see that. They hear what you don't say and the way we communicate with them. They read between the lines all the time. People do. That's why I love sarcasm. Because sarcasm is really clear. This is what Jesus did. This is what we're supposed to do. This is what living a life on mission looks like. This is what connecting with people looks like. Build relationships where you are. Build them where you, wherever you are. Wherever you are, build relationships. Seek to engage people where they are. And here's the important part. Let Jesus sort out the mess. Let Jesus sort out the mess. It's not your job to fix people. It's not your job to save people. It is our job, if you're a Christian, to engage people where they are, build relationships with people where they are, accept them for who they are. But here's the cool thing, because some people hear this go, well, that's great, I can keep doing what I want. No, 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 no. We've been called to change lives. We've been called to be different. We've been called to live more like Jesus. We just get to do it as we go instead of having to try to figure it all out up front. Change as you follow versus change and then you can follow. It's a difference in the Pharisee and Jesus. So we go back to this doctor thing, right? Everyone needs a doctor sooner or later. So I want you to understand where we are and how this plays out and what's going on here. So I want you to imagine there's two boats. So in one boat are saved people. In the other boat are lost people. Saved people have surrendered to Jesus. They've accepted Him. They've been baptized into Him. And they're going to heaven. And they're trying their best to live for Him. Lost people are doing their own thing. Haven't done any of that stuff. In the boat with the lost people or a whole bunch of folks who are a broken mess, drifting, trying to figure some stuff out, confused, hurt, angry, right? But here's the thing. In the boat with saved people are some people who are broken, confused, a little angry, kind of a mess, trying to figure some things out. The difference in the boats, for the purpose of this illustration, is there's saved people in one there's lost people in the other. There's broken people in both. There's messy people in both. If you've ever dealt with uh, horrific circumstances, you, you know how hard that is. If you're trying to deal with something now, you know how hard that is. When life turns sideways and you want to follow Jesus, but it's hard to follow Him. So think of it this way. Broken people who are saved... Seeking connect to broken people who are lost and drifting. There's no pressure on you. 
Broken people who are saved, messy people who are saved, confused people who are saved, maybe some folks who are a little angry at life who are saved, trying to connect with people who are broken, confused, hurt, drifting. They're just lost with no direction and no one to follow, and their boat's taking them away from heaven and straight to hell. Broken is broken. Messy is messy. Only Jesus can fix what's broken. Only Jesus can. So we say this every week. We'll say it again. It's not your job to fix people. It's not your job to change people. It's your job. It's my job. It's our job. It's the job of the church, collectively and individually. It's our responsibility to build relationships with people, to engage people where they are, to make a difference in someone's life, wherever they are, at work, at home, the ball field, the mall, if you go to the mall, Vacation, the lake, wherever you go, make a difference. That's what living a life on mission is all about, making a difference in someone's life, engaging people where they are. So there I was on the golf course. One hole after the greatest two shots I've ever hit in my life. Two holes later were two of the worst shots I've ever hit in my life. Now I heard one dude say, I didn't think he was that good which is okay. But people, one of the things I, I mentioned earlier, people said, why'd you stay? Why would you want to hang out with them? Let me tell you the secret. I didn't. I really didn't. I wanted to make an excuse up and go, but I felt obligated to stay. And here's what I've learned about me years later. When people say, why'd you stay? Why'd you listen? Why didn't you just tell them who you were right off the bat? Why were you so re reluctant? Because I wanted them to engage me for who I was, not for what I did for a living. Why did I hang out with them? Because I serve a Lord who ate with tax collectors, who healed lepers, who raised the dead, healed the blind, fed the hungry, reached out to despised, and rejected was a magnet for people who were an absolute mess. That's the God I serve. That's how he lived. That's how we're supposed to live. It's not always about what we want. It's about the mission. And living life on mission is really simple. It's God's people and in God's heart for the world. That's what it's all about. So I want to challenge you to make an effort to engage people where they are. Build relationships with people where they are. Accept them for who they are. Love them enough, love them enough to know God can change them, but I cannot. But maybe if I make a difference in their life, I can open a door for God to change them. My job is not to change people. My job your job, our job is just to open doors and windows so people can find Jesus. Lord, we get so uh, caught up in the wrong things. We get so caught up in the fixing part, in the messy part, in the broken part, in the I gotta, I gotta get my act together part. The truth is that you've called us to be a light. Light shines in darkness. 
called us to make a difference. You've called us to be different. But you've called us to do it in a way that communicates that you love all people. And sometimes we have to remove ourselves from that process and remind ourselves that we are just like the people around us. We've got problems. We have struggles. We're trying to figure things out. Sometimes life breaks us. Sometimes we make a mess of our lives. Sometimes life devastates us. The difference in lost and saved is that saved people can lean into Jesus and lost people don't have that assurance. There aren't two boats, Lord. There's really just one. We're all in the same boat. Trying to fill that boat. Lord, my desire of our church is that we will be different because we will want to make a difference, a real difference in people's lives. Engage people where they are. Love them for who they are. It's what you did for me. It's what you do for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.